So today we are wrapping up our sermon series on uh, biblical justice, and uh, it's really been more like a Bible study than, than a typical sermon series. We've, th- we've thrown just a whole lot of kind of information out at you, uh, but really just to kind of open up our eyes uh, to the importance of justice uh, that we see throughout the story of Scripture. And so we've just given kind of an overview of, of biblical justice. Last week, Tim talked about justice in the Old Testament. Today, we're going to kind of focus our attention a little bit on uh, Jesus's ministry of justice. Uh, but to be fair, today wraps up the series. And, and to be fair, we, we have not uh, done justice to our justice series. Get it? Uh, okay, whatever. All right. Anyways, um, we've, we've spent a measly three weeks talking about justice when really every page of the Bible is just full of uh, God's decrees uh, for justice. Um, so, we have not talked about everything. There's still so much more that, that's left to explore. Um, but uh, we, we wanted to do this and, and serve as just maybe a primer for, for our faith and understanding biblical justice to just open up our eyes to see this is hugely important to God. This is hugely important to us as a people of faith. And we also have to lament that I, I believe that the church has kind of neglected this, this huge central aspect of our faith. We have not done so well at seeking justice. And, and me as, as the pastor here, you know, I take responsibility for my own role in perpetuating that. Uh, but today we're going to focus on uh, Jesus and his mission of justice. But before we can talk about Jesus, we have to talk about uh, the Old Testament because the Bible is just one uh, seamless story from Genesis to Revelation. So starting back to uh, Father Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and I am one of them. And so are you. So we all praise the Lord. But there was this guy named Abraham and God chose Abraham and his family uh, to kind of bless the whole world. And specifically, God chose Abraham and his family that as they grew into this huge nation, uh, that they would be people who are righteous and just. And that was God's plan for them. This is, God says, this is my path, my will for your life, that you all will be righteous and just. And then along comes a man named Moses. When God's people are now slaves in Egypt, God comes along and gives these laws to Moses. And they are essentially to say, look, because you were oppressed, don't oppress other people. Because you were mistreated, don't mistreat other people. Because you were slaves in a foreign land, don't enslave others. And because now I have freed you, you must be about the work of freeing others. However, that didn't often work out so night and neatly. So God had to send prophets, people who were raised up to call the people back to the ways of justice and righteousness. So we have people like Isaiah and Micah who show up and they say things like Isaiah says in chapter one of his book, Isaiah says, for God, God hates our worship. God, God is tired of our songs and our long winded prayers because we have neglected the true things of our faith. God is calling us to seek justice, to defend the orphan, to stand up for the widow, to care for the poor and the oppressed. And what God is essentially saying through that is God says, 
Look, if, if you don't care about the poor, you can try to say that you have a vital relationship with me, but you don't. You, you just simply don't. You're just mouthing abstractions and your worship is worthless. And that might sound a, a little harsh and you might be thinking, well, that's Old Testament stuff. But then look at the New Testament. This is what uh, James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter two. He says the same thing as Isaiah. He says, my brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith, but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal. What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, James says, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. That's the exact same New Testament version that the prophet Isaiah said centuries before that if you don't care about the needs of others, then you do not have a vital faith. In fact, your faith is, is struggling to hold on for dear life. It's on the edge of death. So Christians, those of us who, who profess faith in Jesus Christ, did you know that this was a central part of your faith? And, and I don't mean that to, to say it kind of tongue and cheek, because this is a huge part of our faith that we have largely just forgotten about. And it seems like there are so many disagreements in our society about, well, who is vulnerable? Who is oppressed? And, and how do we actually help them and seek justice? And those are all important conversations, but sometimes we can get so tangled up in just stupid arguments that we neglect the nexus of Jesus's mission to do justice. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter four. And, and this is just mind you, this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. This is kind of like his very first public sermon. Jesus says this in Luke uh, chapter four. It says Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been raised on the Sabbath. He went up to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read the synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant and sat down and every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them today. This scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Jesus is, is essentially saying here, this is what I'm all about. <laughs> this is what I'm all about. This is the good news that I have come to announce to you and to the entire world. It's good news for the poor. It's good news for the blind. It's good news for the prisoner. It's good news for the oppressed that God is doing something new. 
You see, biblical justice, it, it's not just a set of bullet points. It's not just a, a list of, of commands. It's rooted in the very character and nature of God. And it's the outworking of God's character that we see as nothing less than purely and perfectly just. That all throughout scripture, we, we see that God is called a father to the fatherless. God, God is called a defender of the widow. God is the one who settles the, the homeless and the exiles back into their homes and sets the prisoners free. That we believe in a God whose very name is justice. But then here comes the question. And, and this question is, it's really sort of an anomaly for our century that we're currently living in. Because our modern definition of, of justice is firmly rooted in biblical justice. But the question for the 21st century has become, can we understand justice without Jesus? Can, can we seek justice without Jesus? Can, can I become a, a vegan and care for the environment without following Jesus? Can I shop local and fair trade without Jesus? Can I work for justice within our criminal justice system, within our schools, within our healthcare, within our prisons? Can I do all of that without following Jesus? Can I care for the poor without Jesus? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can. And so the first thing I just want to say is it's not an either or and God's kingdom is so much bigger than any one single church. We believe that God is at work throughout all the world to try to make it new and beautiful again. However, however, we also have to understand that all of our modern understandings of justice, they really come from Jesus and so can we work for justice without Jesus? Of course. But the one who gave us a desire for justice is none other than Jesus. And so I want to show us just kind of four facets of biblical justice and, and how Jesus sort of fulfilled all of them. And these were unique and revolutionary ideas that we often take for granted, but they were unique and revolutionary ideas for the ancient Jewish and Christian people in their culture. And so the first one is, is this it's, it's radical generosity. The Bible teaches this principle that all that we have is purely a gift from God, that God gives us everything that we have. And we are just, we're mere stewards of it. And we have a moral and a religious obligation to share what we have with others, especially those who are without Jesus once said to a rich man, you want to follow me? Sell all of your possessions and redistribute your wealth to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Do you know what the man's response was to Jesus? He said, no, thanks. And he walked away sad because Jesus had asked him something that was just too much. And I wonder if Jesus were to ask us that same thing so pointedly, would we still be willing to follow him? Because you see in, in Jesus's economy, 
being rich is not calculated by how much you have. Being rich in Jesus, in Jesus's economy is calculated by how much you are willing to give away and sacrifice for others. A second principle that the Bible uh, gives us is, is universal equality. And we as Americans, we kind of take this uh, for granted, but Jesus totally shocked the social sensibilities of the world around him uh, by treating all people, all classes of people with love and respect. And, and I can't even give you like a single verse out of the new Testament that shows this because almost literally every red letter that is in the Bible points to this. Jesus was constantly welcoming the marginalized. Jesus was constantly lifting up the downtrodden, restoring the broken, forgiving the sinner. He treated everyone regardless of class or race or ethnicity or gender with love and respect. He treated everyone with equality. And then the third facet of biblical justice is this special concern and special treatment for those without power, special concern, special treatment for those without power. Now, as Americans, we're, we're quick to agree with that last statement, equal treatment for all. Yes, that's what we're all about. Mostly. But the Bible says that we're supposed to have special concern and special treatment for those who are without power. And that might sound like a contradiction to the last one, that if we treat some people with some special concern and treatment, then we're not treating everyone equally. Well, yes. However, you can't ever get to equal treatment for all within a system that perpetuates constant inequality. And so when Jesus was at a dinner party one night, he noticed how all the guests at the dinner party were, were trying to pick the, the most honorable seat, the best seat at the table. And Jesus criticized the host and the guest of this dinner party because they only invited their rich friends and neighbors to the party. They only invited the powerful people to come and sit at their table. You see, these dinner parties, they were the ancient form of networking that you would go to them to try to meet some people who could make you uh, connect with others, who could open up some doors for you, who could do a favor for you and might ask a favor of you in return. But Jesus criticized it. And he said, you should invite the poor to come and sit at your table with you, which was a scandalous idea because it would undo the whole system. Nobody would want a poor person at their table because what could they possibly give to them? However, in the first century church, you know what an early church potluck looked like? It was rich people and poor people coming together to sit down at a table. It was, it was the powerful and the powerless coming to sit down at a table together. And that simple act totally changed the first century culture in ways that we cannot even begin to explain. And this was such a huge idea for the early church because they believed that Jesus and God actually identified with the poor and the powerless not the rich and the powerful. They believe that Jesus essentially said, look, if you want to find me within the world, don't look for celebrities. Don't look for politicians. Look for the people on the bottom. 
You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 when he said, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a prisoner and you came and visited me. And the disciples said, when did we ever do that? And Jesus said, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. The idea that God self identifies with the people at the bottom of society was so revolutionary that it motivated the church to build schools, to build hospitals, to build homeless shelters, orphanages, rehab clinics. It changed the entire world. And then the fourth is this idea of life changing advocacy. You see, Jesus took on the role of, of an advocate and he called out the religious leaders of his day for, for being lovers of money, greedy people. He called out the scribes, another group of religious leaders of his day for devouring widows houses. Essentially they were taking care of these uh, poor women whose financial and legal situation was on shaky ground. Jesus insulted the king of his day by calling him a fox essentially a thief in a public criticism of him. Or, or how about, how about the story when Jesus threw a temple tantrum? Do, do you remember that when Jesus walks into uh, the Jewish temple and he throws over uh, the tables, he makes a whip and he drives people out. And he says, uh, my father's house should not be a place for, for money changers, but a, a house for prayer. And we think that it's the spiritual thing. And, and it was, However, Jesus was doing something more than that. Jesus's critique was not of the religious rituals. His critique was not of the sacrificial system. His critique of the temple was that it was exploiting poor people that just to come into the temple, you had to pay a tax just to come into God's house. You were taxed to come and worship God. And then you had to offer a sacrifice. And so what they did was they would offer these high interest loans to poor farmers to buy two doves for a sacrifice. But then what would happen is if the farmers could not repay that high interest loan on those two little doves for a sacrifice to worship God, the temple would come in, repossess their land and sell their daughters into slavery. That's why Jesus overthrew the tables. That's why Jesus drove people out. He was an advocate for justice. And it was that act of protest along with many other things, but it was specifically that act of protest that ended up getting him killed. I mean, look it up. It's Luke chapter 19. And so my point, my point in all of this is to say that Jesus was so much more than just a spiritual leader. He was an advocate for justice and he was the fulfillment of biblical justice. It was God's justice walking this earth, but we also can't neglect the spiritual work that Jesus did. Because if we just say, well, Jesus was just this great, you know, moral leader. He was this political revolutionary and we neglect his identity as, as the embodiment of God. Then we miss Jesus's entire mission because after all, how did Jesus preach good news to the poor? How how did he set the captives free? How did he let, let the blind see and liberate the oppressed in the Bible? 
the definition of a just or a righteous person is someone who disadvantages themselves to the advantage of others. A righteous person is someone who's willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of others for the sake of others. Someone who's willing to give up some of their possessions, some of their status for the sake of helping someone else. And we see that in Jesus, God disadvantaged himself for our sake. That he became a servant, humbled himself to the point of death, died on a criminal's cross because his trial was this gross miscarriage of justice. And yet, and yet as an act of love, he died for us. He forgave us. And now when we look at the cross, we realize that we were the ones who were the perpetrators of injustice. And yet Jesus was patient with us. Jesus used that to forgive us. He disadvantaged himself to advantage us. He gave up his life so that we could have life of our own. That God looked at us in our slavery to sin, in our slavery to iniquity and violence and injustice. And God provided a way forward for us. And so we, as the followers of Jesus, we should be the very first ones who provide a way forward for the vulnerable in our world. And when we can get that, when, when we can grasp that, that core central part of our faith, then our faith won't be something like Isaiah and James say. Our, our faith won't be something that's, that's dead and worthless, but we, when we can understand this core center of our faith, that God seeks justice, cares for those who are without, cares for those who are in need, gives voice to the voiceless, defends the widows and the orphans, when we can hold on to that, when we can follow that kind of faith that pulls us forward and pulls us towards others, then our faith won't be dead. Our faith will be alive and active, showing the good news to the whole world. Let me pray for us. So God of justice and mercy and love. Lord, we are just humbled by the ways that you come to us God, that you are, are radically generous towards us. Lord, you, you are rich and you became poor for our sake. Lord, you, you look at us and you see us as, as good and beautiful, even when we're not. You see us all as equals, even when we try to divide ourselves. And yet, God, you're also the one who hears specifically the cries of the oppressed. And you work to change their lives and bring goodness and beauty and wholeness to them. And so, Lord, we, we open ourselves up to you today. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would anoint us to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. God, that you would anoint us to be 
this idea of justice that you so desire for the world, that we would be that, that, that we would show that in all of our actions, loving you and loving neighbor perfectly. God, we know that we're weak, but help us. Help us to follow you. God, help us to walk in your ways, disadvantaging ourselves for the sake of others. It's a bold prayer. And Lord, I pray that if any heart is open and ready to do that, their Holy Spirit would lead them and guide them. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.